0: Today we are in uh, Romans chapter three, and uh, I've got a lot I want to try to get through like normal. Um, so if you were here last week, uh, I did kind of like a, a review because uh, some people were kind of behind, some people weren't kind of caught up with where we're at. But I'm, and so I'm going to do the same thing in about two and a half minutes to get us caught up. So because uh, I want to get moving. So Romans chapter one, Paul gives his introduction, right, and then he. Uh, basically starts what he is going to uh, do for the next you know, two and a half chapters. And basically what he's doing is effectively condemning everyone in the entire world right? And so why does he do that? Because he wants to get everybody on a level playing field. Paul has something that he really, really wants to get to the world. He has something he needs to say uh, through, uh, God has to say through Paul, and he's like, but I already know that y'all aren't going to track with me, right? Because some of you think you're better than others. So in chapter one, uh, the second part of chapter one, he's got an introduction. Then he condemns what we would call the, the, the worldly sinner, right? The person who just doesn't care about God. They do whatever they want, right? He talks about homosexuals, he talks talks about people who uh, worship themselves more than God. It sounds a lot like the world we live in today, right? It's just messed up. So, uh, he condemns the, the worldly sinner. Okay, obviously, we all know that they're condemned, right? Uh, but then in chapter 2... He rolls right into, be careful if you're judging other people, though, because you're just as guilty. And so, the first part of chapter two, uh, he condemns what I like to call the white collar sinner. You know, the sinner who, uh, is, the quote unquote good sinner, the sinner that's not really all that bad, except for, well, Sin still sin in the Bible. And so it really doesn't matter how good you think you are, you're still bad. You know, these guys coach their kids' baseball teams. They go to their kids' plays. They, you know, love their wife and, you know, all those things. Well, guess what? Sin still sin and you're still condemned. And so he has to uh, break that down for everybody, right? And so now, uh, the entire time, the Jews have been sitting in the background like, yes, finally, somebody is tracking with us, right? Well, then the second part of chapter 2, he's like, oh, just in case you were wondering... uh, the, uh, come on in, guys. Uh, just in case you were wondering, uh, Jews, I've got something to say to you too. The reason that the world is living like hell, uh, excuse my French, but the reason the world's living like hell is because you guys are encouraging them to live like hell, right? Uh, they see what you have, which is supposed to be all great and grand and wonderful with your religion, uh, and they want nothing to do with it, right? And so he just really lays on the Jews for the rest of chapter 2. So he is now effectively condemned uh, the uh, the lost of the lost, right? The bad sinner, the quote-unquote good sinner, the Jews, and then we get into chapter 3. And for the first half of chapter 3, really first two-thirds of chapter 3, he finishes up answering some questions for the Jews because he's like, I already know you're going to try to be technical and smart with me and you're going to try to outthink me and Paul's like did you forget I'm like a Jew of the Jews Uh, I already know uh, everything that you know plus some and it's like so he goes through all these questions and he just effectively condemns them right the the middle portion of chapter 3 he just kind of says okay now I can start speaking in general terms y'all have sinned right he's from the south right he's like y'all have sinned y'all are messed up I don't have to say the Jews are messed up the lost sinners messed up the good sinner he's like I'm just going to speak in general terms, y'all are messed up, okay? So he he and he does that through uh, uh, in chapter 3, uh, verse 9 to verse 20. And he basically now he can start saying there is none righteous, no, not one. He can speak in very general terms. And you might say, okay, what in the world is Paul doing? Like I said, starting in chapter 4, he's got something he really wants to say, uh, but he had to take these first three chapters to get everybody in the same boat, right? We're not taking different boats to different places. He's like, we're all in the same boat. Uh, we can call it like the boat that Noah had because everybody's going to have to fit in this thing because uh, we're all either going to make it or all we're all not. But we're all in the same boat. And then we get to where we're going to start at today, uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. So it's been like bad news bears for two and a half chapters, right? Not good. But Paul's like, but, right? And like I told you last week, you've got to watch your butts in the Bible. But I have something that you might be interested in. Now that I've condemned you all, I have something that you might... uh This might perk your interest, you know, after you're like, well, what's the point of living, right? If if this is how it's going to be. And so uh, I told you last week that I had, uh, because, you know, I'm not much for titles, but I like to have a list of things, So, and I don't know if we'll get through them all, but uh, 10 phrases that Christ used to change your life forever, basically in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 to the end of the chapter, 10 phrases that Christ used through Paul to change your life forever, and so what did I tell you way back when uh, the the book of Romans was kind of titled, does anybody remember what that was, the book of Romans is what, anybody but my wife remember this, right? The righteousness of God revealed. That's what the Book of Romans will do. If you're going to study the Book of Romans, the righteousness of God will be revealed to you. And I also even told you, and I haven't been doing this, but my like battle cry through this was going to be, how was the righteousness of God revealed in you this week, right? How what what in your life is revealing God's righteousness? Man, if there was ever a time in the world, now I know you know you could probably listen to this at any point in time and be like, yeah, I know. But really, with the week that we've just had. Is there ever time in the world where we could really use some of God's righteousness revealed in the life of the believer? Man, are we doing it right? That right there could just be like, oh, okay, let's do some self-evaluation and check out. Okay, that's enough right there. But I've got a whole lot more to get through. But that's what this is. This book is the righteousness of God for revealed. So I want to explain something to you because this passage we're getting ready to go through, it's technical, right? And there's a lot of technical, uh, kind of wordy, kind of like. Paul really just said something there. I just wish I knew what he said because it's like that's like mind-blowing. And this isn't even one of like the tongue twister passages, but it's still something there. And so, I want you to understand what what God has to do, right? God is trying he he has a dilemma on his hands. He did, right? And I don't want to say that he did because he knew what he was going to do from the beginning, but as we look at this, you have to understand what God had to do. He had to what is God? If God had one attribute, what would it be? There's probably a lot of them you could give me, but there's only one right answer, so come on. He is love, but that's good. Uh, That's not the one. It's holy. God is holy, right? If if God was nothing else, he would be holy. Because if God is holy, then he is all those other things, right? And so God is holy, and he has to be holy to be God. Because if he ever stepped down one step on the ladder from his holiness, then he's no longer God, right? So God is holy. He's up here. He's always going to be holy. God is perfect. That's what makes him God. We can be good, but we can't be God. God is the standard of perfectness. So God is holy but he also says I see that there's a problem in the world and man has fallen so what am I going to do about it and so he has a dilemma and you might be like what's the dilemma right he's God he can do whatever he wants he has to stay holy because like I said if he takes one little step down he's no longer holy God has to be holy the entire time but he says I'm going to through my son Christ who is God if you didn't know that that's you know, we'll get there sometime uh, he is God he has to stay holy the entire time but also take the wretched sin of man and make him holy as well how's he going to do that because i just said that if he steps down even one step then he's no longer holy he's no longer god that's what god is that, that's what paul's getting ready to try to explain to you how he did that how he was able to stay holy through the process of redeeming you through the process of taking your miserable wretched worthless toilet paper stocking up you know life that you've got and say i'm going to stay holy while bringing you up along with me, right? And I'm not saying we're ever going to arrive at holiness. Don't take my words and and twist them around. It's not what I'm getting at. But he says, I've got a plan. And it's through some big words, right? But I've got a plan. And we're going to explain what those big words are, right? So here's kind of the key point I want you to get today. There is no way man can attain righteousness with God starting from himself. There is no way that you're ever going to become righteous by trying harder. By doing gooder, right? By uh, all those things. I'm picking up where I left last week with my good grandma, right? Uh, There is no way that you're going to get there. There's no way that man's going to attain righteousness with God by starting from himself. So here's the first one, because i got to get moving. Uh, The first kind of phrase that Christ used to change your life forever. So let me just read a little bit of this. He says, But now, after all this condemnation, after all this man, y'all are screwed, right? That's pretty much what Paul just said for two and a half chapters. But now... The righteousness of God, oh wait, we were talking about that way back when this book started. Yeah, that's where we're still at. We had to condemn everybody so we could show them the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God without the law, right? Remember verses 9 through 20? We, It was something along the line, I don't even remember what it was titled, but the law, what's it good for? Right? A little bit of something, right? And so... But now the righteousness of God, without the laws, manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, again, if you notice this, that phrase, righteousness of God, in this passage alone is in there like six times, five or six times. Uh, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Right, so here's your first uh, phrase that Christ used to change your life forever. Uh, he says, righteousness of God by faith. Right, he says, righteousness of God by faith. What is that good for you? Well, let me tell you. Right, what is the one sin that man goes to hell for? Right, if I had to ask you, what's the one sin that man goes to hell for? What is it? Rejection of Christ. Rejection of Christ. Right, that's exactly right. Right, it's through, it's you are rejecting the righteousness of God. You might say, no, I'm going to hell because I'm doing. I don't know. I don't want to hear your answer. Right? Uh, no, it all boils down to all those other things came after the fact that you rejected the righteousness of Christ. Right, your self-righteousness, which basically is what you put in the place of the righteousness of God, was enough to get you there. All the other stuff—that's just like the cherry on top. All the other stuff that you're like, "Man, I got to clean up. I got to quit doing that. I got to start doing this." Those are all things, but they're not—you're not addressing the issue, right? The, it, those are all medicines that aren't fixing the problem. The problem is the fact that you're self-righteous. The one thing that's going to send every man to hell if he doesn't accept it is rejecting. The righteousness of God. You have to do that. The sooner that we realize that our righteousness, right? So how are you righteous? Right? You guys know you're the class, right? You're righteous through Christ. The second the sooner we realize that our righteousness comes from faith alone, the sooner we'll be able to correct the path. Your works got nothing to do with you being righteous. What? Well then why am I in the ministry? Well, I don't know. If if that's what you were thinking, then why are you in the ministry? Because it ain't got nothing to do with that. Right? Your heart and ministry is wrong. The righteousness of God comes from faith alone. Right? It says the righteousness of God by faith, not by works. You're going to get the righteousness of God in your life because you simply believed it. Now, does that cause you to want to do good works? We'll get there, right? Several points later. Yes. But the only reason that God ever looked at you and thought, I can do something with that, is because He made it. An option for you to take his righteousness through Christ. That's the only way that it ever worked out. You no longer have to be a try hard like my kids say I am sometimes, right? You know, that's what the kids say now. You're, you're just a try hard dad. You no longer have to say, I got this. Because that's, you know, that's like this, the, the sin syndrome I've got. I just tell God, I got this. No big deal. No, I'll, 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 I'll call on you on the big things. I got the I got this syndrome, right? You no longer have to say, I got this. You no longer have to, to stress on what you need to do because Christ has already done. Fill in the blank. There is nothing that you need to do. You might be like, well, you don't understand. Uh, I've got a sin issue. Well, you need to repent is what you need to do. Right? But that all comes post-salvation. Right? You need to get right. But that has nothing to do. Christ is going to take the sin. You just need to make the decision by faith to follow. That's all there is to it. You you need to quit trying so hard, and you need to allow Christ to do what He's already done. Notice one thing it says, right, though, in... Uh, uh, in in verse twenty two it says uh even the righteousness of God which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and uh upon all that believe right notice that upon all that believe Paul is affirming right he's just like in case you already forgot in two verses what I just spent two and a half chapters telling you upon all that believe we're all in the same boat right don't forget You know, the Jews have already forgotten. They're like, well, I'm a Jew. It doesn't matter. And he's like, hey, I just spent two and a half chapters getting you all in the same boat. Stop jumping ship. You're all in the same boat. If you believe, this is the boat you're in. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, or brown, right? I don't care if you're Jew, Gentile, lost, saved, anything else. If you believe, we're all in the same boat. So, man, why can't we live like it? Instead, we want to, well, I'm not, well, you're not, well, who cares? Man, the Word of God says this, follow it. Right, and I don't know who I'm talking to. It does. I don't. I have no idea. I'm just, just stop. Right, we got to stop trying so hard and realize that the righteousness of God comes through faith. Right, it's all through faith. I promise she's not going to bother me. I can talk louder than her. So usually Zona's in here, and I got to like scream. So it's all good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So number two, uh, uh, let's see, uh, starting in verse 23. He says, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, right? I think I told you guys to memorize that. If you can't memorize that verse, man, we got problems. Right? So, uh, memorize that. I'm in... sorry, I totally skipped over giving you guys time to... Uh, well, we'll get to it later. Uh, I, I usually give you guys time to, like, hey, would you study this week? Because I give you guys, you know, kind of uh, tasks to do, not homework. Uh, but anyway, uh, I skipped right over that. So, for all sin and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right? So there's two of them here. Here's the first one. Uh, here's the next phrase that Christ used, right? Uh, he says, you're justified by his grace. What does that mean? What does justified mean? Well, I don't have time. I'm just going to give you the answer because because I'm out of time already. Uh, justification, and you've got to follow me here, because if not, you're going to be like, those are big words I don't understand, I'm checking out. I'm trying to explain to you a really difficult passage. So follow with me. Justification is righteousness provided by the le- uh, by means of a legal declaration. What does that mean? It is the righteousness provided by God by means of a legal declaration. He declared you righteous. Justification is God declaring righteous those who were before not. He says, hey... I know, before you met me, you were wicked. I say you're righteous. That's what justification is. It's God saying, hey, I know the things that you did. Even the things that you uh, haven't really come out and said that you did. You just kind of told everybody the kind of bad sins. I know the really bad sins that you did. I'm declaring you righteous. That's justification. That is Him saying, I don't need anything other than me saying you're justified. That's what just... He says, so you are justified by His grace. Notice that it says freely, right? Stop trying to pay for the free stuff. Like, that would be like people rolling in today telling David, hey, I, I know this is you know, a free chili thing, but I want to pay you for it. Well, no. Stop trying to pay for the free stuff. right? It, it, this world is jacked up. We want to pay for stuff that's free, but we want to, don't want to pay for the stuff that costs. cost. Explain that to me. Like, I don't understand. It's free. Just take it. Right? Well, well why is it free? Well, Know this, that generally the things that are free cost you the most in life. Generally. Now, I don't think that this chili is going to... I don't know, right? <laughs> but generally, generally, the things in life that are free cost you the most. Christ gives you the gift of... Or God gives you the gift of Christ free. But guess what? If, if you're going to do it right, it's going to cost you the most. Praise God that it costs you the most. Right? And I'm not even going to get into that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, man, you need to track. Uh, pray about it, I'm telling you. So uh, stop trying to pay for the free stuff. I, I know your question, though, because you're like, man, i got a question, but I'm afraid to ask it. So I'll just ask it for you. How does God justify a sinner to be righteous if he's still living in sin? Right? Because God, remember, the God's problem is he's holy and he can't step down from his holiness. So if I've got a sinner down here that just can't get right, how's God going to justify that guy? Because God's got to stay perfect. How's that work, right? Well, here's the next point. Let me tell you how He's going to do it, All right? So it goes on to say, here's your third phrase that He uses. He says, "In the redemption in Christ Jesus," right? He says, "Being justified freely." We talked about that in His grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. That's how He does it. Justification is God declaring the sinner to be righteous. He says, "I know you're dirty, but now you're clean." Well, how'd that work? Well, because I said so. I know you're you're uh, you're wicked, but now you're not. I know you used to be this, but now you're not. Justification is God declaring the sinner to be righteous. There's only one problem. You cannot declare a sinner to be righteous if he's still in his sin. Oh. Oh. Well, that sucks. Well, it does if you're wanting to follow, you know, be, be continuing in sin. You know, fast forward to chapter 6. What's Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, he uses his famous phrase, God forbid, right? No. The point is, he's going to declare you, he's going to justify you when you come with a broken and contrite heart. When you say, all that junk that I used to live in, all that junk that used to control me, I'm done with it. God take it. If you give it to him, he'll take it. But if you don't, I used the analogy last week, I think it was last week, uh, you know, we like to we like to lay all of our sin down for God at the cross, Right? Our whole backpack full of sin. And we're like, okay, I'm just going to follow you. But right before we leave, we grab the backpack and we throw it back on. Just in case we need it for a rainy day. Right? God can't work with that. You know what God can work with? Laying it at the cross and leaving it there. He can justify that. He can't justify a sinner who's still in his sins. So what does that mean for my friend? Well, you do the math. That's all I'm going to tell you. You do the math. You know what Jesus Christ Himself said, though? You're going to know them by their fruit. What kind of fruit grows on that tree? Right? Because you don't have an apple tree that cherries grow on. It doesn't work like that. Right? You don't have an apple tree. I don't care. You can call it apple all you want. If there's no apples on it, it's not an apple tree. Right? The only thing it's good for is cutting it down and smoking with that wood. Right? That's the only thing it's good for because if there is no fruit on it, and so if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, if there's no fruit on your Christian tree, well, I'm, I don't know. You tell me what's going on. Right? He says, that's, that's the problem. God is holy. He can't step down. So if you're going to continue in sin, He cannot justify you. Right? Now, Christ, done, Christ has done the work. And remember, right? So don't take me wrong. Christ died for all of your past, all of your current, present, and all of your future sins. Christ did that on the cross. Right? So I'm not saying that if you stumble, You're lost. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is if you're the quote-unquote Christian, if that's what you want to call yourself, who says, well, nobody knows about this, so I'm going to continue in it daily knowing that it's separating me from God, then you need to check yourself at the door. That's what I'm saying, right? And so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying... Just just follow, okay? I don't want to have to... Anyway... How does God justify a sinner to be righteous if he's still living in sin, right? Well, it's through the redemption, right? So, uh, I already told you that. So, let's see. Uh, You can't declare a sinner to be righteous if he's still in his sin. That's where redemption comes in, right? That's where redemption comes in. This is how a holy God was able to take our unholy sin and stay holy while he did it. What does that mean? Well, here's the definition of redemption. Redemption is the payment of the price required to set a prisoner free from sin. It's the payment, right? So if you've got uh, $10,000 in credit card debt, well, y'all got a problem, right? But if you, if you got that, uh, and I came and I said, I went, to the, I went to the credit card company, I'm like, what does he owe? Well, this is it. And I write a check, right? I have redeemed, right? I have redeemed the payment that it takes to do that, right? And so that's what redemption is. Christ says, okay... God says, okay, so here's this here's here's the sin, here's the penalty for it, this is what is owed. Uh, it's your entire life. Oh, okay. I have something that can pay for that. It's Christ's life. We can do a little swippy swap, right? We can do a little flippity flop, whatever you want to call it, right? We can we can make this work. I, I can work with that. Okay, so now I know what you owe. Redemption is the payment of the price required to set a prisoner fee. He says that 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 you're justified. By His grace in the redemption in Jesus Christ, you're going to be redeemed because now I know what it costs. Oh, that's your sin. Oh, okay, that's not that bad. I mean, it's bad, but like Christ was way more perfect than that bad was. So I can make the, I can make this work. I can do something with this. That's what He says. God paid the price so much in full that it can never come back again. Right? Uh, I don't really have time to talk about this, but. There's an Old Testament picture, right? So redemption, uh, the, 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 the key word is redeem, right? So it's, it's like a redemption is a, is a break off of that word redeem. Uh, in the Greek, I believe, this is kind of from my HBI notes. I'm trying not to get too technical for you, but there's a really good picture that goes with this, right? Uh, and I'm not much of a Greek guy, but I think I'm pronouncing this right. It is the word aplutriosis, right? You're like, well, what does that matter, right? Well, let me tell you, that word... So it, let me, let me show you the picture that goes with it. In the Old Testament... Uh, they they once a year uh, offered a sacrifice right uh, they offered a lot of sacrifices but they they had this one redeeming sacrifice right so they brought two lambs in and you know what they did they took one uh, and they killed it and uh, they sprinkled the blood and that was to cover the sin of the year correct and they had another one you know what it was it was called the scapegoat right. It means that it was just as bad as the other or just as innocent as the other goat. But they took it and basically they said we're going to put the sins of the people on the scapegoat and we're going to send it out of the camp, right? We are going to push it out so that the people's sin is on the goat and we're going to push it out of the camp, right? And so when you read that, you're like, okay, well, what's the deal? It's a scapegoat. Who cares, right? It's kind of like the president pardoned a turkey on Thanksgiving. Really? They're just going to kill it next week. But anyway, that's not, that's not the case here. In the Old Testament, they had a scapegoat and they pushed it out. It... Represented the people's sin on it Out of the camp right? But what happened When the scapegoat wanders off for a few days And he's like, well I was getting fed over here And he tries to wander back in the camp They had to have somebody Stand watch to make sure that the scapegoat Didn't come back into the camp Because that would represent the sin of the people Coming back in their life But that can't happen in salvation It's all a picture, right? The Old Testament is simply a picture of what happens in the New Testament The scapegoat can't come back because that would be like saying after you get saved, you can allow sin to just reign in your life again. You can't. You can allow sin to come back into your life, but you have to repent and get it out. So they had somebody watching out for this thing. right? And if it came, uh, the way the story goes, uh, they would basically lead the scapegoat farther out of the camp over towards the cliff. right? And they would push the scapegoat off the cliff, meaning that it could never return. That is what redemption is. It is Christ taking what is keeping you from him, that a plutriosis and just pushing it off the cliff. It can't come back, right? When you get saved, there is no such thing as saying, "Well, I'm, I'm saved today, but you know, if I fall back into sin tomorrow, then I'll have to get saved again." That's not how that works. Christ separated you from it permanently that's a really cool Old Testament picture when you read that and I, don't, I didn't explain it the best way here because I don't have time but that's kind of the same thing that's going on here that redemption to redeem that comes from that word and that's what that means the sin is gone forever does that mean that you can't stumble? No, absolutely not. We're going to get into some really technical, you know, chapter 6, really chapter 7 in Romans. It really talks about, man, this sin thing that I'm dealing with, it's hard, it's hard. right? So several months from now when we get that far, we'll get to there. But the point is, you're separated from it forever, right? The scapegoat is gone. The sin is on Christ, on the cross, and it doesn't leave it, right? It's on the cross forever. So you're justified by His grace, uh, through the redemption of Jesus Christ. So, moving on. Verse 25. So, there's like four of them in verse 25. So, i got to get moving. So, let me just tell you what they are. Uh, uh, let me just read it. For whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the faith in His blood to declare His righteous uh, uh, righteousness for the remission of sins that are uh, past through the forbearance of God. So, let me just kind of go through these fairly quickly. So, he first says that he's going to declare His righteousness. Right? Notice that God declares you righteous. How does He do that? You don't arrive there by saying enough Hail Marys, right? You don't arrive there by doing enough good. You don't arrive there by keeping the Ten Commandments. You don't arrive there by keeping the law. You know how you arrive there? By Him justifying you, right? He declares you righteous. You don't get there by doing good, right? You don't get there by coming to church more often, right? It doesn't work like that. God gets to decide what satisfies Him. Now, I don't think you just heard me, so I'll say it again. God gets to decide what satisfies Him. And blood is the only thing. Right? That is the only thing. Here's an example I used when I was teaching this in HBI. So say somebody kidnaps your uh your child, right? I think most people in here have kids for the most part. Uh and if not, you can follow the analogy. Somebody kidnapped your child, right? And so uh like they do in all good kidnapping movies, uh they call because they want a ransom. Right? And they're like, Uh, I need some money from you and you're like, I just want my kid back. Whatever I gotta do, right? And so they say, uh uh, they say, I want X amount of dollars. Well, through this, you know, because just like follow the analogy in the movie, they can always trace where they're at. So they tell you, oh, they're in this warehouse over here. So you go, and you're like, hey, give me my kid back. and They meet you outside. And they're like, well, I tell you what, uh, I'm going to quit doing all the wicked things that I've ever done in my life, uh, starting like now, right? I don't care what you're going to do. Give me my kid back, right? Well, I tell you what, this Sunday I'm going to start going to church. Uh, I'm going to get my life right. I don't care about your life. Give me my kid back, right? Uh, Well, I'm never going to kidnap another kid after this one, right? Dude, I don't think you're understanding. You're You're not picking up what I'm throwing down. I don't care. He's trying to decide what's going to justify your wrath. That's the same thing we do with God. We try to say, well, if I quit doing this, this, and this, and if I start doing this, this, and this, then God has to justify me. That's not how it works. God gets to ju- decide what justifies him. God gets to de- not justifies him. God gets to decide what satisfies him. And you know what that is? It's blood, and it's only blood. It's either going to be—now people don't like to hear this, but this is the truth. It's either going to be the blood of Christ on the cross, or it's going to be your blood at the end of your life. One or the other. That's what it is. That's how it boils down, right? That's how it boils down. In order to get saved, you have to let God select what satisfies Him. Your good works are never going to get you there. So He says He's going to declare you righteous. How is He going to do that? He says, by the remission of sins, number six. So that's number six, the remission of sins. Okay, so there's another uh, shun word. There's a whole lot of these, right? So what does remission mean? Let me tell you. The word remission literally means to send back or send away. If somebody's cancer goes into remission, what does that mean? It goes away right for, for a time right so that is what that means. he says so for the remission of sins, to send away your sins, Old Testament saints had to uh, had forgiveness through the sacrifice of bulls and goats right in the Old Testament they could have their sins forgiven if they sacrificed through the law, right? That's how they did it. But, it's different in the New Testament because the believer in the New Testament has one better. He has remission. He doesn't have forgiveness. He has remission. It's way better. I would always rather have remission than forgiveness. Well, what do you mean? Because forgiveness is only for that thing. Remission is for all of it, right? The remission of sins. It doesn't say the remission of sin. It's plural. S-I-N-S. The remission of sins. He has remission. The New Testament believer has no need to sacrifice for his past sins because the remission uh, that he was granted with Christ uh, on the cross. I don't have to worry about the stuff I did in the past. I don't have to. Because Christ took care of it. The remission, it's done. It's gone. Notice that it says remission of sins uh, that are past, though. It does say that. Now, track with me here because I don't want you to get confused. You have no need to sacrifice for past sins because there was remission. Right? You don't have to sacrifice for your past sins. Christ took care of it on the cross. Now you're going to say, well, you just told me a little bit ago that Christ took care of my past, present, and future sins. We'll get there. But now there's a request. It's not a requirement, but there's a request. You don't have to do anything for your past sins. Accept it. But there is a request. If you fast forward you know, maybe a year from now, when we get to Romans 12... There's a request that Paul's like, hey, uh, this is what God wants to know of you. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We're not going to sacrifice lambs and goats anymore. The only thing I want is your body, your entire life. And then he goes on to say, you know, that's your reasonable service. That's the least you can do. If you want to do more, great. But, you know, just give me everything you've got, and that's that's a really good starting point. And, you know, most Christians will never get past that point because they'll never get to that point. They'll never get to the point where they're just like, Okay, God, you can have it all. You can just take it. And uh, I don't know what that means. Does that mean we're going to move halfway around the world? Maybe. Does that mean that we're going to uh, minister even through the coronavirus? Maybe. I mean, does that mean that we're going to... I don't know. It means that I'm going to say, God, here am I, send me. It means that I'm going to say, God, whatever you want, you can have it. Right? That's what that means. That's just the request. So you don't have to sacrifice for past sins. But there is a request moving forward. Right? There is a request of your life. Obviously you're not working to cover your current sins, right? I already told you that. It was all covered on the cross, but there is something today that God requests us to sacrifice, right? We don't have to sacrifice for the sins, but he does request us to sacrifice our life. It's not a command, right? You know, Paul says, you know, I beseech you, I'm begging you, but it's not a command. He doesn't say I'm telling you. He says I beseech you. That's completely different. Beseech means to like ask or beg. That's what he's like, I'm begging you. That's the best thing you'll ever be able to do in your life. i got to move. Uh, so he says, I'm going to declare you righteous by the remission of your sins. Number seven, uh, uh, in the forbearance of God. right? The forbearance of God. What does that mean? What is the forbearance of God? Well, it is simply him having enough grace on your life to give you time to figure it out. That's what forbearance of God is. It is simply him not zapping you with a lightning bolt while you were still lost because you were acting like an idiot. That's what the forbearance of God is. I had every reason in the world for God to take me out. But you know what? He was like, because God knows the end of the story, I'm going to give him a little bit of forbearance because I can use that later. right? That's what the forbearance of God is. You want to know why bad bad things happen in the world? I probably shouldn't go down this road. If God gets to a point where there's no hope left, and that person, that's the point of letting them live, right? To continue to blaspheme the name of God forever. So you know what that does mean, right? And so if you want me to clarify all that statement, we can get there at a different time. You know what that does mean, though? If you're still breathing, then uh, and, and if your lost family is still breathing, then God says there's hope. Because if there wasn't, there'd be no reason for them to use up good toilet paper that we all need, right? That's just, that's just the way it is, Right? So, I mean, the analogy would usually be good air, but I mean, right now I think toilet paper is a much higher commodity than than air is right now. So the point is, if you're still there, the person that you're like, man, that person is never going to get it. If they're still alive, God says they might, right? And so that's, that's what I got to say about that. The forbearance of God is simply Him having enough grace on your life to give you time to figure it out. Figure what out? Figure out that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself, so you need to give it all to God and let Him have control. That's what the forbearance of God is, right? So, moving on. He says he's going to declare you righteous through the remission of sins and the forbearance of God. And then the last one, uh, I'm sorry. That that was the last one in verse 25. Okay, so he says that, did I give you number four? Four. I'm sorry, I skipped skipped four. So move all those down one. Mm -hmm. Number four. Or you just just mix it all up. It's okay. The first one in verse 25, I totally skipped it. This is what happens when I use this little tablet thing. It was the propitiation through uh, through faith in his blood. Another really good uh, Asian word, T-I-O-N word, right? Propitiation. It's wordy. I'm sorry. Number four is propitiation through faith in His blood. Number five is declare His righteousness. Okay, we'll just skip it to the bottom then. It's all good. So what does that mean? I'm sorry, verse 25. He says that uh, whom God hath set forth to be propitiation through faith in His blood. What does that mean? What what does that uh, word propitiation even mean? I really wanted to get some of your answers because I'm sure they'd be really interesting, but I don't have time. So I'll just tell you what propitiation means, right? The word propitiation means a payment that makes God... Pity, us because it satisfies His offended justice. Right? So uh, let me just explain that to you in a term that you might be able to get. Right? Our life in sin offended God. Your your life in sin it offends God. It's not good. God's not like, oh, it's no big deal. Right? That's what most Christianity wants to teach you today that oh, God's all loving and He can forgive that and it's not that big of a deal. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell, from the devil himself. God's not okay with that. Your sin offended Him. Right, He's holy. He can't step down from the ladder. He has to stay holy. It offended God. So he has to propitiate. Right, He has to come up with a payment that would satisfy our offense against uh, against His holiness so we could be justly in His presence. Right? So let me explain this in Harrisonville terms for you because some of you are still like, I still don't get it, right? And that's okay because I'm from Harrisonville too. So let me explain it to you. Your unholy life... <laughs> Right? Your unholy life could never be in the presence of God God's holiness. It doesn't work like that. Black and white don't go together. He's holy, you're not. He's not going to say, "Well, that's okay. Come on up here anyway." It's not how it works. Right? Your unholy life could never be in the presence of God's holiness or he wouldn't be God anymore. That's that's the fact of God. If he steps down even a little bit, then he's no longer God. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So, right? So he did what uh, had to be done to cover you with something that could make you holy. What is that? It's the blood of Christ. That's the only thing that was going to cover you up good enough, right? With the blood of Christ as your covering or propitiation, right? It's kind of like a covering. You're now covered, right? He says, okay, that's how I'm going to do it. There is no dilemma here. You're unholy. I'm going to cover you with the blood that's perfect, right? That's like you could have a wall that's really black and dirty and dingy. You put some paint on that thing, it looks new, right? That's what he's saying. I'm going to cover you up with perfectness, and now you can come on up in here, right? Because I'm because and you might be like, well, all you're doing is fixing the outside. No, you got to remember that when he covers you on the outside, there's a spiritual circumcision, we're going to get there, right? That happens on the inside. He cuts away. You know, that from the old, right? He cuts away the soul. Okay, so what's that mean? It means you got a good soul in there, rattled around, and a dead man's body. And I'll explain all that in several weeks. But that's what he's saying. So I'm not just saying that he cleans up the outside, I'm saying that while that happens, something on the inside happens as well. That's what propitiation is. The word propitiation, if you want something to compare it to, it's the same word as mercy seat in the Old Testament, right? What did they do with the mercy seat in the Old Testament? They went in there and sprinkled the blood on it. Oh, well, that's almost like what he does with our life. He takes the blood of Christ and he covers us with it. Same thing. Same thing. Okay, sorry I skipped the one. So now we're down to number 8 in verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time his uh, righteousness, that uh, he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So he says, I'm telling you, At this time, his righteousness, uh, that he might be just, right? That's what he's saying. You might be just. So, number eight, he's a justifier of him who believes. How did God justify you? How did he do it? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. That's how he did it, right? A dirty, rotten sinner who can't even think right, let alone act right. How did he do that, right? He did it through the cross. He did it through the cross. How does that work? Man, if you don't know how the cross worked, we need to back up. Because the cross is where it happened. And too often in Christianity we're like, yeah, I know the cross, Jesus died on it, it's all good, right? Well, the cross is awesome, and we need to know what happened on the cross, but if the cross was the only thing that happened, then we're still hopeless. It was the fact that He was buried and rose again. But without the death and taking our sin, the resurrection isn't really all that great. It all has to go together, right? It had to be the death that we couldn't handle, that He took on the cross, that did it, right? He did it on the cross. Without the cross were all men most miserable. That's what Paul says, right? On the cross, God did something more amazing than I think any of us will ever be able to comprehend. And I don't care how much of a scholar you are. He did something on the cross... And, and, and the, the longer I'm saved and the more I look back on this and the more I think I've got it figured out, the more I realize I don't know anything that I'm talking about. Though, well, why are you teaching about it? Well, because I think I have a little bit of it figured out. That's why. Uh, something happened on the cross. And you're like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. No, something, something more important than that happened on the cross. Well, yeah, he, he took my sin. Something more than that even happened on the cross. You know what He did? He, he said, okay, I'm going to take your sin... And I'm going to take perfect Christ and somehow I'm going to bring them together and now everybody's holy. How's that work? right? How's that work? He took a fallen sinner and a perfect sinless Christ and he did an an operation so intricate and so unbelievable that we have no choice but to take it as grace because we had no part in it. And if you want to tell me that you've got to work for your salvation, you don't understand the cross. If you want to tell me that, yeah, but I have to get baptized, or yeah, I have to do this along with it, you don't understand the cross. Because if you understand the cross, you're going to realize that He took you as bad as you were, and He said, that's all right. Because I've got a solution for it. It's this blood, this perfect blood. That's what he says, right? He spent three chapters, almost three full chapters, saying how miserable we all were, just so he could say, "But I had a plan. God had a plan the whole time. So now, you know, he's like, oh, so he gets everybody back in the same boat again. He's like, okay, so we were miserable, but now there's hope, right? Without the cross, we have no place with the holy God. Yet here we are." That's what justification is. He justifies the believer, right? And the last two, and I don't really have any notes to go with them, but because I, I knew I was going to be out of time, it's just right on time. The way it always is. Uh, verse twenty-seven. Where is boasting then? So Paul kind of finished. He kind of wraps up the chapter. So he just kind of is like, okay. So I've said a lot. I've condemned uh, everybody, and now I've said, but but this is how God is going to take everybody in their condemned state and still give them hope. This is how He's going to do it. And by the way, he's going to stay holy while he does it. So he just told us all of that, right? So when you read through it again, right? Because that's what you're going to do this week. You're going to read through it again. You're going to be like, oh, I'm starting to understand what some of those bigger words means and what he was really doing. So Paul wraps it up. He says, "Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. That's number nine, the law of faith. I'm going to keep reading." Verse 28, therefore we conclude, so he's like, okay, so after three chapters worth, this is where we're at. That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Right? That's number 10, you're justified by faith. Verse 29, just in case the Jews are still confused. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Paul's like, yes, yes. Of the Gentiles also. Seeing it as one God, which shall justify the circumcision, being the Jews, right? By faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we uh, then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. He's like, so what's this all mean? Let me just boil all this down. Is So it, are, are the Jews still better? No. We're all serving the same God. You know how we're doing it? It's, it's by faith. Right? It's by faith. And then he does clarify very quickly. And I'm out of time, but I want to try to give you something here because he's saying something. Verse 30, Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision. So he's saying I'm going to justify the Jews by faith and the uncircumcision meaning the Gentiles, anybody who's not Jewish, through faith. What does that mean? This is the last thing I'm going to give you because this is kind of big, right? Everybody's saved through faith, right? We all know that. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves as a gift of God, let's not a works of any man should boast. Right? Okay. We're all saved through faith. The Jews are saved by their faith. Meaning by the work that went along with what they did in the Old Testament. Now, we're in a new dispensation. Another big word. Right? We're in a new time period where God says, that's okay. The Jews can now get saved like you. Right? But the Old Testament Jews, Abraham, Isaac, all the all the all the guys, David, right? All those guys who we know are gonna they were in Abraham's bosom and you know they were justified. How were they justified? Because Christ hadn't died yet. How were they? They were justified by their faith. By the fact that they said, Okay, if this is what God wants me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. Well you might be like, Well why can't I do that? Because it's different now. Different dispensation. So he even says it, he makes sure he points it out. That the circumcision, the Jews were saved by their faith, by the things that they did. It's not like that anymore though. And the uncircumcision, meaning now, the Gentiles, we are saved through faith. Meaning, through Christ. We have faith in Christ, not in the things that we can do. Does that make sense? There is no confusion there. Yeah, the the Old Testament saints, they got saved the same way we did. It was all by faith. It was just in the faith of the things they had to do. Because Christ hadn't come yet. Now, God knew the entire time that Christ was going to come. Right? That goes back to that forbearance point. Because God knew that He had a plan the entire time. So He's like, okay, these guys are going to be saved by their faith, but you all are going to be saved through your faith. That's what He's trying to lay it all down, right? So those ten phrases, right? We read through that. He condemned the entire world. Everybody's in the same boat. You're all lost. You're all headed to hell. You're all not good, right? Three chapters worth. He's like, but I had a plan, and here's how it's going to work. And so He boiled it all down through all these really fancy, wordy terms that people are like, well, I'm... I'm dumb, I'm from Cass County, I can't ever understand that, right? Well, no, if you take some time and you slow down and you like look at what these words mean, that's what it means. And so if you need to go back and listen to it again, or if you want me to slow down next week and explain it again, because you really need to get this. Because yes, we are all in the same boat in sin. But if we accept it, we're all in the same boat through Christ on the cross. Okay? So he spent three full chapters getting everybody sailing the same direction, right? We're no longer free to move about the country. We are now, and I'm not just saying that because you can't fly anywhere right now, it seems like, right? We're all in the same boat through Christ. So, three chapters worth, he says, you're all condemned, but there's hope. So now we can get into chapter 4, and man, I've got something to say. Paul's like, I had to waste three chapters worth of getting you all on the same page so that now... We can focus, right? All right, so let's pray and we'll get out of here. for you Passpoint folks. Remember, this is kind of like an interactive study, so I want you to read if you want to. Right? It's not homework because I don't give homework, but uh, read the book of Romans once this week. Uh, read Romans chapter 4 five times, right? Because that's where we're going to be going and see if you can't see what God's doing. Uh, if you haven't written out chapter 3, now would be a good time to do that. Uh, and here really soon, we're going to start breaking this thing up and, and circling back and doing some outlining. But for now, try to see if you can't figure out what the, the key thrust, the key message that he's trying to get through. And I'm not saying just look at, at the beginning of your chapter in your study Bible and it's like, okay, well, this is what this chapter is about. Right? I want you to see if you can figure out what chapter 4 is really trying to tell us. And we'll talk about it for about 10 minutes before we get started next week just so everybody's on the same page studying, right? Okay, so let's pray. Sorry I went over, guys. Uh, You all ask too many questions, so let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for loving us, Lord. I thank you for um, just your peace. Lord, I do pray that uh, you just send us out this week as lights in a dark world and uh, you would uh, be able to use us, that we would put ourselves out of the way and that you would just uh, allow uh, our bodies to be a living sacrifice. God, I pray that you just speak uh, through the preaching of the Word today. Uh, I pray you just uh, set aside Pastor Brian and you would allow your Word to uh, speak holy. um, God, I do pray again. Um, it's a crazy time in the world, but I pray that uh, You would just uh, give us peace. And we already have peace, but just allow allow us to have the peace, uh, to be calm, Lord, to, to be smart, but to understand that You're in control. There's nothing that's ever going to happen in this world that You didn't know about. Nothing catches You off guard. So, Lord, I pray that we would be good ambassadors of You, and there would be nothing that catches us off guard. Lord. And- that we would just uh, use these times as an opportunity uh, to be the light of Christ. Uh, so, Lord, I just love you and I praise you in Christ's name. Amen.